book of Proverbs, chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Uh, please follow along in your own Bibles or just listen and look as the text is presented on the screens above. It's rated PG this morning. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? It's about 10 years ago in where we were, I was then in Alaska, where Tom and, and Becky were. We were up there at the same time, in the same area, actually. Uh, we had a family in our church, and I want to try to describe this family to you. But um, at least from what I saw, there was a beautiful wife and a good-looking guy, and they had a, a beautiful daughter who was 10 years old, and they were a fun-loving family, a close family, um, well-cultured, educated, good jobs. You know what I'm, I'm you know, it doesn't describe anybody here. <laughs> you can laugh if you want, but, uh, but no, they really have that, that thing like, this is a, a good picture of a good family. And they had gone to, they, every summer they did something that I thought was really cool. They went on a trip together, and it was an educational trip, and yet it was a lot of fun, and they exposed their 10-year-old, who just thought the world of her daddy. She was a daddy's girl. And um, they exposed her to uh, Europe, and they were there, I don't know, six weeks or something like that. And they came back, and uh, I asked how the trip was, and, and everything was great. And then a few weeks later, the wife, uh, just by doing normal stuff, she found emails that revealed a very hot, torrid affair that her husband was having with a woman that was roughly 20 years younger and who was also married. So you have two families that are in chaos at this point. And I actually had contact um, with both, but I'm going to focus in on this one. So... It, it, I can't tell you how broadsided she was. Just absolutely slammed. And I tried to figure out, you know, try to navigate this. How do I salvage something here? And how do we walk through this thing? 
with hope for something better. And um, there, was a, there was a time where they lived apart, which was negotiated, and uh, let, to let sort of things get sorted out. And during that time, um, I worked with her, and she worked with a counselor, and she was able to forgive her husband but not be reconciled to him. So if we remember a few years ago when I did a series on forgiveness, forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. So she forgave him and she divorced him. And those two words can go together. I'm going to um, switch over here to plan, plan B. And so you don't get disturbed by that. Okay, so uh, then I worked with him and... Uh, I sat with him in his mess, and uh, it, it was a mess. And his, uh, if I could, he would, he would want me to tell this story today because one of his things he says to other men is, don't do what I did. It was like his life was ruined. And as I read these verses this week as I was studying uh, Proverbs chapter 5, I thought, of him more than once, and I thought of, as I read these verses, verses 9 through 14 particularly, uh, don't give in to the adulteress, lest your best strength be given to others. The word strength there has to do with your glory, your splendor, your vitality. Uh, he lost all of that as he talked. He, he, his voice was just a whimper. Uh, he had lost his vitality in, in this process. Uh, Less strangers feast on your wealth. Uh, he found out that divorce is very expensive, and it was not. It was bigger than he thought. And then uh, you will say, if you give in to the uh, this woman, you will groan and you will say, "How I hated discipline." And he pretty much said those words. He regretted. He, I can't. He, as I think about him, I think about somebody who has regret written all over their face. And then the final thing that happened is that you will lose uh, your your friendships in the midst. It talks about being in the midst of the assembly, but all of their couple friends uh, that they had, he was the jerk, right? You know how that works. He was the one, and he she kept those friendships. They but he lost them all. And more than that, his biggest regret was his the ten year old daughter who thought daddy could do no wrong. That life it was changed forever. He, he saw, or she saw, how much he hurt her mom. And that spoke volumes to her about who her dad really was. And that relationship will hopefully someday be repaired. Now, I share that story because Proverbs, if you've, if you've read the Proverbs at all, um, it tends to be, the basic message is, you're going to fill in the blank here, so get ready. You reap what you sow. Okay, so we would say what goes around comes around, and uh, but that's the message of, of Proverbs. Now is okay. There's not a lot of grace in it. There's not a lot of oh everything will work out fine in it. And there are times when things do work out and things do get better, and there is a redemptive side. But you don't get that from the, the vibe of the book of Proverbs. Is if you do this, then this is going to happen. And it happens with, with money, the, the, the topics, how you speak, um, how you handle your money, uh, just relating to people. I mean, there's all kinds of topics, and sexuality is certainly high on that list. So that's where we're going today.
uh, I, I said this is a PG-rated sermon. I put out a little blurb this week. Hopefully you got that. And uh, But it's really, what was read for you was, was if you did, I don't know if you noticed it, but it's kind of, I would say it's R-rated. And this is God's Word. There's a lot of R-rated stuff in God's Word. might make you read the Bible more now that you go home when you go home and you know, figure out what's in there. But it's really true that he's not nearly as squeamish or prudish about topics like this as we are. But I feel, felt like in a, in a church setting on a Sunday morning, I, I'll, I'll tone it down just a bit. And if you want to know what I left out, come to me later and I'll share it with you. How's that? Okay. All right. So uh, we remember that this, the book of Proverbs is the primary audience are, are youth who are 12 to 20 years old and how to pass on wisdom because as the, um, is it farmer's commercial says, uh, we've, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Well, hopefully that's, that's true for those of us who are a little further along in life. And uh, so you have the, the voice of wisdom coming from the father to the, the teenager, basically. So sexuality is obviously going to be one of the topics. And we're going to look at, this is our outline, uh, foolish sexuality in verses 1 through 14. We'll go, we'll go through these fairly quickly. But, and then wise sexuality, uh, we get both. And then hope for fools. And I want to make the argument, I'll make it later, but I'll tell you right now, is that um, we're all fools. I mean, we're all, we've all done foolish things. If you haven't done any foolish things in your life, you could just raise your hand and we'll just bow down to you right now, you know. But uh, one of the things, one of the paradoxes of this is that the wise person always realizes that they could be foolish. And, you know, they're, they're kind of on guard. And it's the fool who thinks he is wise or she is wise. So kind of a weird little paradox. Uh, We'll get to that. Foolish sexuality, verses 1 through 14. I want to prime you for this by coming... I haven't said this in the series, but um, one of the, the kind of odd things about the book of Proverbs is that you don't get any Proverbs until you get to chapter 10. So a proverb is a short, pithy little saying that maybe paints a picture or something or con- draws a contrast. And it's, uh, you, know, you, you know, you know what goes around comes around, right? That's a proverb that we have. And so I want to give you a proverb that paints a picture and just gives you an idea of it is it has to do with the topic that we're on today. But if we can go ahead and get that up there, uh, like this is a picture. So imagine this like a gold ring. Think of a, a gold ring that's really attractive. In a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. So uh, imagine that you're you're going along in life. And you see a beautiful ring, and you're drawn to it. You're attracted by it. And you reach down to pick it up, and somehow you just didn't see what was attached to it. It's a pig. A pig. And you're surprised by that. But what, what the proverb, what the writer is saying is that that's a beautiful, that's like a beautiful woman. You, you think, because she's so attractive on the outside, and then you, you are drawn in by that, you're uh, taken in by that, captivated by that, and then you experience a pig. That's, it's pretty graphic. But I asked my wife what she felt about that, and she just said, yuck. But that's, the Proverbs are meant to make you feel yuck. So for, I want to make sure that, uh, at least you know that I'm aware, that the Proverbs tends to be very masculine, uh, gender-wise. So here's, here's how I would translate this. We have to translate to, if you're a, a, a woman, 
or maybe a teenage girl, younger, that this would be like a guy, and you could think of all kinds of pictures, but here's mine, the guy that has the $800 suit and drives a $80,000 sports car, and you are wowed by it, but attached to that, all of that is a jerk, and, or a big pig, or whatever, whatever you want to make that image into. You're surprised. And the, the, what the scripture is saying, is that thunder? A plane. Okay, all right, good enough. I just want, sometimes I get thunder when I speak, and I really think, oh, I'm on it. I must be, yeah, it's a little accent there that I've, all right. Okay, just a plane. All right. <laughs> so, uh, what the scripture is saying is that beauty is inside of you. More than outside. Now, we don't want to say there's not such a thing as beauty, and beauty has its place in creation. It certainly does. It's a gift from God. But what's more important than outward beauty is inward beauty. We need to be reminded of that, and the Scripture does that. So another uh, Proverbs 30, verse 20. This is the way of an adulterous woman, which is where we're headed here in a sec. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. Now, that's, just, that's an image. I just, I mean, and you, it's easy to translate this one to a guy because guys are always, you know, doing this, you know, with their sleeves, but just, just wiping her mouth and saying, I didn't do anything wrong. She devalues sex. By having sex outside of her commitments, she devalues it and just thinks it's no big deal. So um, this is um, the, the nature of a proverb is gives you those pictures. But we're going to uh, move on and look at how it works in, in chapters 1 through 9. So 1 through 9, it's about a path. And so I'm going to use, we have our little guy up here. Could be a little girl. On a path or a way. And there's actually two ways, two paths in life. We talked about this last week. It's a huge theme in those first nine chapters. And there's no Proverbs. It's just showing you two different paths, one of the wise and one of the foolish. And it wants you to value the wise path. It's the father trying to pass that along to the son. And um, in the chapters five, six, and seven, well, there's two main topics. Easy money and easy sex are the topics that we get exposed to the most in these chapters. And uh, easy sex is in chapters 5, 6, and 7. So it's, a big, it, it's in parts of those chapters, and it plays a big role in these first nine chapters. So easy sex, big warning on that. And in chapter 7, just to give you a, a picture, there's the father takes the son with him to the red light district. This is biblical. This is, this is a, a, a wise thing for a father to do apparently. He takes him to the red light district, and they look from a distance, and they see a young man, and then they see the adulteress over here. I'm not pointing to anybody particular here, just so you know. But um, they see how he kind of, she's, she's very attractive and seductive, and she's using all five senses, uh, if, you, if you read that. Uh, it, it is very seductive, and she even uses her spirituality to draw him in. And then um, he is gradually going there like a lamb going to slaughter. Like he's just, you know, so you can see the trap. And the father is showing the son how this is all going to unfold and how it's going to end up in death for this guy. When her husband comes home, it is not good. So um, that's from chapter 7. Now, I'm going to move on here, but before I do, I want you to know, and this is... Uh, just my own testimony, is that I used these chapters out of Proverbs to teach 
my three boys about sex and then also about money and uh, some other things in the book of Proverbs as well. But this particular one uh, was, I, I can remember it well. So, uh, and I hope they, they do too. <laughs> That's the point. But it's there for that. That, that This is a uh, kind of a textbook curriculum on how to teach your children about sex. All right, so in these verses, verses 1 through 14, I'm going to skim over them a bit, just kind of landing on certain ones. But in the, the first verses 1 and 2, the lips of the father are mentioned, or the mouth of the father, and then the lips of wisdom that are then passed on to the son. There's this transmission of words that come out of the mouth. So you have the lips of the father uh, set out in contrast to the lips of the adulteress. And her words... So. Here's the the battle, and you you all know what this feels like. It feels like, you know, the angel on your left shoulder and the devil on your right, or however you want to say it. But you have the Father's words of wisdom given, uh, and then you have this uh, adulteress. And her words, they drip like honey, is what it says in the text. So they they appear to be sweet and tasty. Her her words, they they uh, her lips drip like honey, and her words are smoother than oil. So, just imagine honey and then oil, and how that just sort of uh, lubricates those words into your heart, so you feel like you're being they they go in easy. They're just they're easy to take in. But then the contrast is they are as bitter as gall, and they lead to death. Whereas the Father's words lead to life. And you have this struggle that is, is going on uh, right there at the beginning of this chapter. And you see this, these two paths, once again, between wisdom and foolishness. And we might remember uh, a, a famous verse from Proverbs that, kind of, that covers so much territory in life. And it's written for men, but it applies to women. Make it your own. But um, there is a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but in the end leads to death. You see, when that, that in chapter 7, the, 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 the adulteress and is, is trying to draw in this one. It, well, it seems right. You know, you start thinking with your glands and you're in trouble, right? Your glands aren't good thinkers. They'll choose the wrong path for you. You have to have another voice that is a voice of life for you. So we, we see the, the setup there, and um, then it goes on to a warning in verse 8. Uh, don't even go near her house, the father says to the son. You know, if you go near, uh, the temptation becomes, the closer you get to something, the more you, you're, the gravitational pull grow, goes up, right? You know how this works? I mean, if, whether your struggle is food, if you walk by the refrigerator enough times, you will go into that refrigerator, Right? So there's a story about uh, a a guy who was contemplating an affair with a woman, and he 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 didn't want to do it without some sense of God's blessing, and so he prayed the prayer that he would be on this street, and if she if she if he saw her car coming from the other direction, then he would know that he that was the answer yes to the the prayer of God. I feel like this must be from you. My glands are telling me it's from you. It seems right. And so uh, he sat there and he waited. And then, well, eventually he just drove around about a hundred times. And eventually she came. That's the way it's going to work, right? You, if you go near to where that temptation is, the chances go up that you will be drawn in. And then he gives the consequences for being drawn in. And he makes it really clear. 
you're going to, we already said this, you're going to lose your glory or your splendor or your strength. You're going to lose uh, your wealth or at least part of your wealth. Your inner peace will never be the same and your friendships are going to be cut way back. That's a lot to pay for one bad decision. That's a lot to pay. Well, we don't believe in shame in our culture, right? We're not a shame-based culture like traditional cultures are, except when Robinson Cano uses steroids, for example, or Harvey Weinstein, or Bill Cosby, or Charlie Rose, or Matt Lauer, or I could go on and on and on, and we'd be here a long time if I listed all those names. And those are just the really big names. Just imagine... And, and aren't you, I hope in your heart of hearts, you are glad that this stuff comes out. What goes around does come around. There is justice in this world. Now, it feels awful if you're the one that gets caught, but I'm thankful that there is a God who is in control. And we do shame people. Shame is really thick in our culture, way bigger than we ever think it is. We shame people all the time. Now, shame should be, I mean, there's an argument here that maybe shame is a good thing, in certain cases where you did something shameful, right? Like what my, the guy I described earlier, that was a shameful thing to do. Look, what it, look at his 10-year-old daughter. I mean, just think about what she's thinking about life and dad and mom and all the rest. He, he put shame on himself. Now, that isn't the end of the story, but shame is a part of the story. And we can deal with our shame. There's ways to do that. But it's not inappropriate to have a level of shame come upon you when you do something like this. So the consequences are huge. And the end of the story here, if I can just put a, a concluding note on what it means to be foolish, is if I can say it like a dad, don't be a sexual fool. Just don't be a sexual fool. It, it, it's not good. It's not good for you. It's not good for others. Well, let, let's look at wisdom. Uh, what does it mean to be wise with your sexuality? And the imagery here is uh, very clear. It's all over this passage, verses 15 to 20. We'll walk through these quickly. But the imagery is that of water. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your streets overflow in the, or streams, springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. So we have water. We think of water as something that is life-giving, that we cannot live without. The, the water here is just, use it as an image of your sexuality, uh, whether you're, you're male or female. Just that's, that's what we're talking about, is your sexuality. And you want it to be strong and vital and kept pure. That's the image that we have. And it, if you think about water, it's, it's that cool refreshment that comes on a hot day, or it comes, cool refreshment in this case, that would come to a hot desire that God has put in you. It's part of God's gift to you. But how do you manage that hot desire? Well, he gives you another image here, that of running water. For water to be running, what does it need? It needs some banks to run within. It needs, uh, you know, I mean, it, if it doesn't, you just have a swamp. And uh, so we need boundaries that create those banks for the water to run in. And in the Bible, in, for thousands of years, that those boundaries have been described primarily as marriage. And so a marriage relationship, a covenant relationship, where you have a man and a woman agreeing to be exclusive with each other, that's 
that's a big part of the vows, to be exclusive with each other. That's part of creating those banks or boundaries where the running water can be rich and deep and overflow. We're going to get to the, the positive aspects of sexuality right here, but you've got to have those boundaries. So a couple of Greek words. One is the word eros, from which we get the word erotic, right? That's an English word, but eros is a Greek word, and it means exactly what you think it would mean. It's that passionate, uh, very, very physical, but tied into your whole self, uh, your sexual, your, your, that, that, that feeling that is wonderful thing that happens. And uh, how you manage that is another story, but it, that, that in itself is a gift from God. How you manage it is also a gift from God. And so what we do is we put the word eros, think of eros as a circle like this, into a bigger circle called agape. And that agape love is covenantal love. The Bible talks about uh, unconditional love, that it is exclusive as well. And this is what God wants between him and his people. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God and have no other gods before me. It's part of the Ten Commandments. So agape love is necessary if you're going to have your water, your sexuality, be healthy, clean, and strong, and vital your eros love needs to be in the context of agape love. I think I love that that picture. And if the reason for that is that you can't just separate your your erotic self from your whole self. When you your sexual self is an icon for your whole self, for the nakedness of your whole self. When you're naked, you're not just naked physically. You're naked emotionally, spiritually. Every, mentally, every way. And so to be that vulnerable to another person, you need this agreement or commitment or covenant that is where you find agape love. Okay, so the question is, and you've already heard the question a little bit, but will your sexuality be confined to a running water situation or will it overflow into the streets and be more like an infested swamp? if I can use that imagery. And that's, there's, there's two paths that the writer gives you here. Um, and hopefully you can discern the right answer. Okay, so the prayer. Now we come to a prayer in this section. And it's a beautiful prayer over uh, your, sec- your, your children's sexuality, but think of it for yourself too. So it's, it's a way of the father praying over the son's sexuality. This could be the mother praying over the son's sexuality or the father praying over the daughter's sexuality. It doesn't matter. The application, you'll figure it out. But it's a beautiful prayer. And along with the uh, Song of Solomon, this is one of those places where spirituality and sexuality definitely overlap in the Bible. Um, they, they overlap in the Bible probably more than they do in real life. That's one of the things, the weird things about this. But uh, consider this prayer and how you might use it. I pray this prayer for my kids, my boys. So uh, the father says in verse 18, May your fountain be blessed. So may your sexuality be blessed. May your sexuality be full and uh, fruitful and just life-giving. As, and... Uh, May you rejoice, and the word rejoice here is uh, like a hyper word. It's uh, rejoice intensely in the wife of your youth. And that implies that the one that you made this covenant agreement with, as you grow older together, may your sexuality intensify, not diminish. 
That's, that's, that's what the prayer is. So it's gonna, I want you to, it's gonna start strong, it's gonna get stronger. What a, what a wonderful prayer. Not, yeah, there, there's obviously physical limitations as you get older, but this is the prayer of the Father to the Son. And then uh, here's the part that we have to really uh, translate because uh, it, it, it might disappoint you, but it reads here in the NIV, a loving doe and a graceful deer. Um, that's, that's the wife of your youth. That's what she is like. And literally in the Hebrew, it says, this may get ready, it says, like a wild goat. And I'm sorry to report that, but that's what it says. And don't, don't use the Hebrew. Uh, you go with the, the doe and the graceful deer. But it, so just so you know, in, in Israel, uh, a wild goat has a different uh, meaning. And they are beautiful, and in their, they have wonderful. Not, don't don't think of an old goat here. That's the problem we have, you know. But think of a, a beautiful, graceful animal that's up on the, the mountains that can can climb up effortlessly without falling. Uh, and uh, they they really are beautiful. But don't give your um, wife a Valentine's card that says she's like a wild goat. That will not work. Okay, and then uh, here we get to the most erotic part of this passage. Uh, May her breasts satisfy you always. And the, the, uh, the Hebrew word is drench. May her, remember the, that water is the primary metaphor here. May her breasts drench you always. And it, that's very suggestive. And then may you ever be uh, captivated or intoxicated but it would mean something like, may she drive you wild and crazy out of your mind with her sexuality. Your sexuality, and it's a, it's a mutual thing that's going on here. And so women, you can translate this uh, to your own selves, your own situations, but it's it's meant to be that kind of loving, giving activity that is within the context of covenant love. So how's that for a prayer? That's a, that's a, yeah. yeah, yeah, go home and pray that, yeah, but you know, it's beautiful, it's really beautiful, I, when my dad, when I was in eighth grade, he, he talked to me about this topic, and you know what he told me, he had three words for me, don't do it, <laughs> that was it, I, I, you know, I read this, and I think, gosh, I sure missed out on a lot, I could have uh, filled my head with all kinds of good stuff, but his, basically, it was just don't do it. And I don't, I, you know, looking back on it, I was like, well, when, what, forever? I mean, what, he didn't give me any positives here. And uh, obviously, the writer is saying there is a huge positive to be communicated as we talk to our children about sex. Well, the hope for fools. Let's get to the third part. The hope for fools. So back to where I, I stated earlier is that we are all foolish. Now, remember, foolishness has to do with a, um, uh, anything that you've thought that is foolish, anything that you've said that is foolish, and anything that you've done is, is fool, that is foolish. So it's not like we're totally foolish, but we've done foolish things. And a wise person recognizes that they're always at least on the edge of foolishness. That's what wisdom does. So um, Proverbs doesn't really help us, as I said earlier, to uh, when we realize we've done something foolish, like my friend I started out with. I mean, he, that was beyond foolish. But, uh, but when we do something like that, is life over? Because Proverbs would seem to indicate that, that you're done. I mean, that one decision is going to cost you everything that you value is kind of the approach that it takes. And sometimes it does seem to be that way in life. 
But I want to I go back to another image that we started with that might help us. Hopefully, it'll help us. The image of the gold ring attached to the pig. So we have beauty attached to something very ugly. And what I want to do is just kind of reverse that and go to something very ugly that's attached to something beautiful. And then I think that's where we'll discover the grace. So what's the ugly thing? The ugly thing, if you were in the first century, I'm, if you were to ask a group, what is the ugliest thing that you can imagine? Probably they would say someone dying on a cross. We were just in Israel. And crosses are put outside of, think of, think of the intersection of I-90, 405. Factoria would make a great place for a cross because you want everybody who is driving by or walking by to see it and say, that is a bad man. I don't want to be like that. <laughs> That's like the worst. So it's a sh- place of shame. And it's, it's considered very ugly, not beautiful. It's not something you would reach out for and grab and, and be attracted to. But hopefully I made my case. But in the wisdom of God, in the wisdom of God, that's exactly where he has chosen to put the most beautiful, precious, gracious thing, person, that we could ever imagine. The person of Jesus Christ on the cross. And when you reach out and you grab that cross, you touch that cross, you end up receiving grace and blessing in ways that are beyond. Now remember, he's the living water. Living water is better than any other water. He's the water that satisfies where you don't have to keep going back and back and back and every day trying to, you know, find water. He's alive. His water is greater than our thirst for life. So here's here's the... the picture of grace, the way I describe it, is grace is the face of love when it meets imperfection or foolishness. Grace, the, the eyes of Jesus on the cross looking at you, meeting you, his face says, I love you in your foolishness. So if there's one decision that you could make in life, one foolish decision that will bring you down, like the story I told earlier, there is one decision that can restore you. And that is putting your trust in the person of Jesus Christ. One decision can make the tide rise in your life. And so here's how I put it. This is the question. Can you give everything that you know about yourself to, and you you don't know everything about yourself. You You don't even, like sexuality, what a mystery, you know. Try to probe the depths of where that's from and how it works and... Yeah, but giving everything you know about yourself, including your sexuality, to everything you know about Jesus Christ and just take that little step or big step. And that's an act of trust. It's an act of faith. Can you do that? It's a wise thing to do. It's a very wise thing to do. What I want to do right now is just lead us through a prayer and... um, ask you to pray with me, and we're going to come to the Lord, and the word Lord is a very simple uh, word in our language, but it, here's what it means. It means whatever you say, I agree with. I'm going, to, I'm going to live into it. So we're going to start out with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, um, and, and pray this prayer, if you would. I give everything I know about myself including my sexuality, to everything I know about Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, 
you are living water. You are the water that our hearts truly long for, even more than those sexual desires that get very, very hot. You are the one, Lord, who gives us something better and deeper. Give me, give us strength to make wise choices that are within the agape love that you have for us. May we put our eros into your agape. And thank you for this gift of sexuality and for showing us how to use it so wisely that we won't be hurt and we will not hurt others. We pray that for ourselves and for our children. In Jesus' name, amen.